Good morning. It is good to be with you. I'm Pastor Mike Toomey. I'm one of your pastors here at Hope. We're in this sermon series. Oh, and if you're watching us online again, we're glad you're with us. We're in this sermon series called The Strongholds, the strongholds that are in our life, those things that cause us or they are the result of the sin in our life. They're they're what you end up confessing week in and week out before your your heavenly Father. And and this is not to shame any one of you, but it's really to help us be aware of the sinfulness in our lives so that when we're aware of the sin that's happening in our lives, We might live a a godly life as best that we can and also understand and fully believe that Christ Jesus has died for us. Today we're going to talk about gluttony, the sin of of gluttony, and let me tell you, you're in good hands. You're in the hands of an expert. The, the, The communication team, when they're putting together all the slides and whatnot, they left off the Y in gluttony, so it said, Pastor Mike Toomey, glutton. <laughs> so I need to pray. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we go about our lives, there are sins that entangle us, specific sins that we continue to trip up on. And so we pray for your freedom, your freedom that comes from Jesus to be with us. All this we pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Again, this isn't to shame any single one of us. It's really to begin to become aware of what the sins are in our life and how we can avoid the the pitfalls and the dangers thereof. And on Christmas Day, my wife and I and all the kids, we we decided we were going to go to Grandma and Grandpa's. Grandma and Grandpa live on the other side of of the state of North Dakota, way up in the corner. And when we were leaving from Christmas morning worship, most of you know what was going on. It was raining at that time. I mean, something I don't think I had ever seen in my life. Rain just pouring down all over Fargo. What was interesting is as I left the North Campus, I could see that line where the rain ended and the rain began. And I thought if we got out of here fast enough, I could cross that line before things began to ice over. So we got the car packed as fast as we could, and we began making our way towards I-29 in North Fargo, and we got onto the on-ramp. And as we got to the top of that on-ramp, we could see that at the southbound lane, there were two cars in the ditch and two fire trucks. And we could see that there was an ambulance we decided we were going to be careful here. And so we, we started going, and we're doing about 35 and, and 40 miles an hour. And as we're headed up towards Harwood, we could see car after car in the ditch, all from the southbound lane. We, we saw the, the traffic just stacked up upon, it, upon itself for miles on end in that lane. And what was happening in the northbound lane? Not a single accident. Everybody seemed to be driving for the conditions of the road, except about three pickups with Minnesota license plates. (laughs) So was God divinely blessing 
the, the northbound people and, and cursing the, the southbound people? Now, I don't think that was the case. Was there some miraculous line of the southbound lane had ice on it and ours was dry? No, it wasn't that at all. What was the difference? It was this, that the, south, the, the southbound people were completely unaware. They were caught completely unaware of the changing conditions of the road. If you were leaving Fargo and traveling north, you knew it was just bad. And so you did drive 35, 40, 45 miles an hour. You kept it safe, but those four folks driving the other direction, they got into that and the roads went from clean to ice in the matter of a mile. So let's think about the sin of gluttony and how we can be aware of it. Because what's the definition of, of, of gluttony? The, the, the basic definition of gluttony is, is this. It's to, um, it's a habitually, it's a habitual greed and excess in eating. Okay, it's a habitual greed and excess in eating. While I was growing up, there were three classic movie scenes that illustrated this idea. I'm only going to share two of you because I don't want you guys to think I actually saw the other movie. The first one, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the original, or the original movie based off of Roald Dahl's book. Uh, you remember Augustus Gloop? Augustus Gloop that, well, anyway, I'm not going to go down that song. He's a greedy, gluttonous child. And he crosses the lines that are set out before him and he, he kneels down and, and he begins drinking straight from a river of chocolate. And as he crosses those lines, what happens is he finds himself in some sort of great danger. He, he drops into this river of chocolate and gets sucked up into a tube, to a tube and he's shot out of the factory. Gluttony for him puts him into a state of absolute isolation. The other one is the great outdoors. John Candy, Dan Aykroyd, and you guys are laughing. You know about the 96er. Uh, John Candy's character is playing a, a guy by the name of Chet. He's the annoying brother-in-law. And the annoying brother-in-law decides that he is going to save some face. He is going to make the day. He's going to make sure that he is the hero of the day. And the way he's going to do it is he's going to eat a 96-ounce steak, meat, fat, and gristle. And if he does this, everyone else's meal is paid for at the table. What a great way to give back. And he starts out with great confidence of eating this, this, this steak and he's, he's getting it down. And as he's, as he's getting down pound for pound, you can just see he's beginning to shake and tremble. And he finally gets that last piece in his mouth and you can just see he's in absolute agony. He wins the day, kind of. For as he's leaving the restaurant, the director wonderfully fades to black at the moment he gets sick. Gluttony will leave you in pain. Pain, isolation. 
those are good definitions of what gluttony is about, that, that, that habitual greed and excess in eating, but I think it even goes far beyond just what we gobble down. It, it goes more to this, the, the perverse consumption of pleasure as a whole. The perverse consumption of pleasure. St. Augustine, he wrote this long ago, and I think there's some truth to it. He begins to get into that truth where he begins to write this. Who is it, Lord, that does not eat a little more than necessary? This occasional overindulgence should not be identified as gluttony because what renders indulgence sinful is not the amount of food or drink consumed but rather cultivating an unreasonable attitude towards these necessities. It's our attitude, it's our mindset, it's our soul set on what and how we think about food and drink and all sorts of other pleasure. It's kind of like this. Let let me ask you this question. Um, Who's the best cook you ever knew? And four out of ten of you are going to say mom. And another four in ten of you are going to say grandma. And one in ten of you are going to say dad, and then one, a, a small portion of you have had some other experience where you've, you, it goes far beyond what mom or grandma or dad or anyone else could do. But the reason why your mom, your grandma, your dad are the greatest cook ever is because they fed you with their love. And when they did that, that was a good thing. But when we begin to grow up, what happens is we begin to mistake love and food and comfort and food for one another. We, we, begin, we mistakenly equate food with love or food with comfort rather than the love of the person themselves. And so when we want comfort, what do we do? We eat. When we want more love, what do we do? We eat more. And when we do that, It drives us down a dark path of gluttony. C.S. Lewis, he writes this in a fictional tale that he writes. Um, It's it's called the Screwtape Letters. The Screwtape Letters are basically this. It's um, Uncle Uncle Screwtape writing to his idiot nephew, Wormwood. Now, those are strange names. Well, they're strange individuals. They're, they're demons. They're, their job is to get people to not believe in Jesus so that they can be sent to hell. So as you're reading this, you're, you have to do a mental mind flip of 180 degrees of who's the bad guy and who's the good guy. So I'm going to read this to you, and these, again, are Uncle Screwtape's words, a demon from hell. Never forget that when we're dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's grounds. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures, and all of our research so far has not yet produced one. All we can do is encourage the humans to take pleasures which, which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. Gluttony is seeking pleasure in overconsumption. Gluttony will leave us in pain, feeling too full, with a distended stomach, 
And it will always leave us with the pain of an empty soul. So what's our solution? What's the solution to to gluttony? Is it a diet? Is it something like Noom? The grapefruit diet, the Mediterranean diet, keto? That might help, and help a lot, with the outward expression of gluttony. But I don't think it goes far enough. Is the solution to gluttony starvation? Well, absolutely not. That's a whole other problem that needs psychologists, psychiatrists, clinicians, and God's people surrounding someone in prayer. Well, let's think about it this way. If gluttony is a sin and an outward expression of our condition of sin, then the only solution that there is is not your willpower or my willpower, but it is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is where you have found forgiveness, where you have been freely given forgiveness. It is on the cross of Christ Jesus where you are shown and where you can receive the love and the grace and the mercy of God. It is there where you are no longer defined by your sin, where your shame is taken away. For it is in Jesus where our souls begin to find fulfillment and contentment in Christ and in Christ alone. In John's gospel, John tells you and me about this miraculous feeding of a crowd of 5,000 individuals, 5,000 people. Jesus has been teaching, it's going very well, but it is getting a little late in the day, and there's nobody, it seems, has brought any food along with them. And so Jesus begins to ask Philip what they should do about this. And Philip is going, you know, you need to send them away because it's going to take half a year's worth of wages to buy everyone even just a little morsel. Let's just send them away. We, we, we don't have hardly anything. And then Peter comes running up and says, yeah, he's right. We have hardly anything. We got five barley loaves and we got two sardines with us. Do you know what that really means? This is a first century lunchable. 5,000 people, one lunchable. Jesus says, I want you to make them sit down. And so they sit down in groups on the grass. And then he begins to take the bread and bless it and break it. And the disciples begin to distribute the bread. And there's more than enough bread. And then they distribute the fish. And there's more than enough fish. And there's like 12 basketfuls left over after this miraculous feeding. The crowd is absolutely astonished by what has just happened. And they want to make Jesus king. And Jesus is like, I don't want to be king because of miracles. I'm going to be king because of the cross. I'm not yet ready to be lifted up to that place. For Jesus wants to be made king through his death and through his resurrection. And so Jesus skedaddles. He gets out of Dodge. 
About a day later, the crowd finally catches up to him, and that's where you and I begin to hear the words that were spoken earlier to us today. And that's when Jesus begins to speak to them, and he says these words, very truly I tell you, you, were, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. What is Jesus trying to do here? But basically say this. Ultimately, life is not about satisfying your stomach or the pleasures of life, even though some of those are necessary. Ultimately, what you need to, where you need to be finding life and fulfillment and contentment is through the gift of God, which is the bread of life, who is Jesus. A little while later, some of Jesus' words are this. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And the crowd knows that Jesus is speaking truth. And so they say, sir, give us this bread always. And that's when Jesus begins revealing that indeed he is the bread of life. What does it look like for you and me to pursue the bread of life? To find fulfillment and contentment in him and him only? I think one of the very best places is to look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote several letters while he was in prison. The book of Philippians is a letter written to Timothy. It's written to the churches. And, and, and what it really is trying to get at there is finding fulfillment even in, the pro, even in one of the darkest places of the world. Paul is likely facing torture and execution. And yet he writes profound words that he is content. I am in need. For, I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned in the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul has learned that if things are going poorly in your life, look for contentment and fulfillment in Jesus. He's learned that when things are going well in life, find contentment in Jesus in all things. For it is in Christ where you have received the love of God and the promise of eternal life, the forgiveness of your sins. Many of you have heard this truth before, but I want to restate it. Some of you who have never heard it, today's the day. 
For every single one of us, there's a God-sized hole in our soul. And it cannot be satisfied, it cannot be filled with anything but Christ. Jesus Christ says to you, I am the bread of life. Come to me. Eat this bread and live. I want to encourage every single one of you to seek fulfillment and contentment in Christ Jesus, the bread of life. And I'm going to encourage you to do that with somebody else or with a group of people and not alone. You see, sin brings about much pain, and some of that pain is shame and isolation and all sorts of things. And so we fool ourselves into thinking that we can do this alone. But when the people of God come together in our shared brokenness, in our shared sin, we can help each other out for the living of these days to live a more godly life and to fully experience the grace of God through forgiveness and the promise of resurrection. One of the ways we want to help you here at Hope through any particular sin that might be burdening you in your life is to join a group, an insight group. The insight groups are hosted through a a larger group called Living Free, and the insight helps us be aware of our sin. It helps us be aware of the grace of God and helps us be aware that God's strength, that too is with us through the power of his Holy Spirit and the gift of his people. We all need to seek Jesus, the bread of life. And together, like Paul did, like I've been blessed, and many of you, let us seek our contentment and our fulfillment in him. Amen. Let's pray. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you and I praise you for your son, Jesus. Help us to live out our lives in ways that are pleasing to you. Help us to be gifts for the people around us and help us to heal and mend as your Holy Spirit has been promised to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said,